The What Would It Take podcast is co-produced by Anabaptist World and me, Ben Tapper. The views expressed here are my own and do not necessarily represent the official positions of Anabaptist World. To learn more, visit anabaptistworld.org. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the What Would It Take podcast. I'm your host, Ben Tapper, and I'm joined today by my friend, uh, Revlin Chesla. So Revlin Chesla is dedicated to helping people develop healthy, liberating, loving relationships with the divine, themselves, and others. She serves as a hospice chaplain, a wedding officiant, a couples therapist, as well as a sexuality educator. Revlin. Friend, it is so great to have you here today. I'm excited. How are you doing? Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I am doing quite well. Thank you. How are you? I'm excited right now. A, because it is 66 degrees right now in Indianapolis in early March. So (laughs) praise be. (laughs) Praise be for the sunshine. (laughs) Um, But B, because we get to collaborate. And that's uh, that's just dope to me. So I, I love these opportunities. Same. Um, so this is a the third part of a three-part series on sex and sexuality. And so I'm really um, honored that you could join me to flesh this out and to have this conversation. Uh, am I remembering correctly that you recently got funding to, to do a particular training program, uh, maybe through through Harvard, uh, to take oh, leaders yeah. through? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Talk about that program and, and, and uh, what it, how it's going. So uh, I am working with Reverend Lissette Cross, also known as Reverend L, um, from uh, willyoubehold.com.org. Search Will You Be Whole. <laughs> um, and through her ingenuity, she was able to get a grant uh, that she asked me to work on. And we are creating a 10-week course for clergy um, that will be free because of the grant. Uh, that is all about how clergy can... Uh, embrace uh, a sex positive theology and then teach that into in their congregations or whatever their ministerial you know field platform context is yeah so yeah so that's that what we're doing radical. it's exciting uh, we're working on like dwindling down the <laughs> syllabus because uh, it's it's a packed like graduate level syllabus <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, wait, we got to remember, you know, these are working people. Uh, We can't treat them like graduate students whose only job is, you know, this particular course. So figuring out kind of how to maintain um, a quality program with significant, important information without overwhelming people. So they'll actually do the reading, right? And be able to, uh, because, you know, sometimes if, like, you see that there's like, 600 pages worth of reading for this week, you're probably not going to do it, you know, or you may do like 10 and be like, I can't, I can't get it. You know, but we want people to actually engage the material and engage us um, and to do the, to to do the work of figuring out um, what sex positivity is, what sex positive theology is, uh, and then how, how that relates to one as an individual, right? Because you're going to, you're going to end up having to do your own work um, so that you don't um, just kind of bleed all over people, right? Um, and also, so to your best of your ability, you don't transmit, you know, false or unhelpful information. Um, yeah. So it, it, it'll be intense, uh, but we're working on making it um, as doable uh, and as beneficial as possible. 
Yeah. I love that y'all are doing this work and I'm super excited for this to to come out and be available to folks. Yeah, it's me amazing. Too. Like I'm like I'm like I'm ready to get started. I was like, wait, gotta get make everything right first, but then we can right. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think it's, there might be this misconception that some have that if we take a, um, sex positive approach or a, an approach rooted in comprehensive sex education, that we're just transmitting the message that it's a free for all, that there are no boundaries, you know, or anything. And that's not at all what I think anyone is saying. So can, can you talk about that misconception a little bit and versus what is actually being said? Absolutely. Uh, a sex positive theology or a pleasure centered, um, theology in general does not mean that there are no responsibilities, right? Part of a comprehensive sexuality education is learning what are your sexual ethics? What are your limits? What are your boundaries? Um, what allows you to be free and safe? Uh, what allows you to feel whole um, what, and grounded, right? Um, it is a full, it's a full um, identity thing, really. And then, it, you know, from the perspective of a potential partner, right? If you haven't been doing this work, then you're not really going to know not only how to show up for yourself, but how to show up for your partner, right? Mm-hmm. How to ask helpful questions, how to be present in a way that feels um, non-threatening, you know? So it it gets, yeah. it, it remain, it's always complex, or right? But by... You also don't know that your pleasure is not solely your partner's responsibility. Actually, I was just reading yesterday um, in um, Advancing, you know, I have it right here, I'll just read it. Hold on, let me say. Uh, Advancing Sexual Health for the Christian Client, um, Data and Dogma by Reverend Beverly Dale and Rachel Keller. Um, and in there, they talk about one of the costs of like, this rule-based patriarchal sexist system, um, especially around sex and sexuality, um, as it has cost us our pleasure imagination. We don't have an idea of all the possibilities um, of sexual enjoyment and pleasure um, and sharing. I, I love that phrase, pleasure imagination. It, I mean, it evokes a sense of liberation. It evokes a sense of, of freedom, right? And I think of the verse... Um, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or there is liberty, right? And and so much of the time when we are talking about sex or sexuality within the church or Christian congregations, we're not doing so from a position of freedom and liberation, right? We've 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 left that uh, on the cutting room floor, and I think it's time we bring that back into the fold. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, absolutely. So much I think of what we have been taught um, that is, you know, quote unquote, church fathers. Um, you know, Platonized versions of Christianity um, is really about whatever they were going through, right? Um, when I was reading something the other day about Augustine, uh, they, there was a quote where he said, like, my sexual desire is too strong for me to contain. I was like, wait, this sounds like an addiction that he's trying to curb, not um, some something else. Because if you can't control it and it's causing... Um, you distress and you can't function your daily life. That sounds like an addiction, which probably means you are depressed or anxious or avoiding something altogether that you're afraid of. So these, this is like you trying to cope or trying to control sex because you can't control something else. 
Um, and now you have, because of, you know, your place in the world, um, that has now been embedded into our culture. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and again, this is what I mean when I say that when we talk about sex, we're not really talking about sex, right? This is a prime example because no, what we need to be talking about is addiction, right? What we need to be talking about are the underlying causes there, but that's not what happens. Also practically, you know, um, if we embrace our natural gifts and talents and also willing, of course, to learn um, and we live in an intentional community, we, will, we have everything we need, not just to be well, but to be whole um, and to thrive and to be the image of God together. I love it. And I love your idealism. We definitely need more of that uh, in these spaces. You know, and, and a thought came to me as I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about the fact that if we really believe that our bodies and thus each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, then we will pay better attention to what our bodies, what our emotions, what our minds are telling us, right? And that doesn't mean that we always have to follow or, or be a, um, enslaved to our whims, but it does, I think, invite us to be curious and to to learn from them, mm -hmm. right? Like, I trust that my car is made well. I wouldn't say any car is fearfully and wonderfully made, but I trust most of them are made pretty well, mm -hmm. right? And so if it starts making a sound that I know it shouldn't be making, I'm going to be curious. Right? I'm going to wonder what is actually happening here um, and what do I need to do about it? Rather than just like, you know, creating an ideology in my head to to make this make sense in the moment, you know? Um so that, that's what came up for me as you were talking. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, you have to take care of yourself. Pay attention. I mean, literally, like, I, like when you really think about all the things that your body does, or even if you think about all the things that your hand does, just think about like all the muscles, all the bones, uh, all the ligaments, all the veins just in your hand, right? It's freaking magnificent. Like, it's an imprint on it, right? That nobody else has. You know how many people there are in the world? How many people there have been in the world? Uh, <clears throat> so if your just your hand can do all that, then think about the things that your brain does without even thinking. The fact that you're you can breathe, right? Uh, you have lungs. <clears throat> if you have legs, you know that they move and they tell you things. Your body tells you things, um, and it's wise to listen to it. Now, of course, you know you may have to run some things through, you know. Your checklist. Okay, is this loving? Uh, is this just? You know those kind of things. <clears throat> but for the most part, you know, if you listen to your body, uh, it's a good bet that you are doing what is wise for you. Yeah, and I think the practice of listening to yourself more and being curious will then allow you to also offer the same curiosity to other people, maybe, which helps our relationships and our communities. To your point, absolutely. And remember that God is in you. So. But often listening to yourself is listening to God. You know, mm. granted, and I know I say, I say that with, with caution. Um, yes. But if we understand ourselves as the image of God, we understand that we breathe because God has breathed life into us. Um, and we understand every, bar, every part of our bodies being God made, God created, um, being a part of God. Uh, God created it to function in a certain way then part of listening to God and honoring God is listening to the body that God gave us to tell us things, yeah. right? Often, if you have a headache, it means you need some water or you need a nap right. or you just need yeah. to rest your eyes. Like, you know, if your foot is tingling, maybe you need to stand up. 
Maybe you need to take a walk. Maybe you need more water, a sugar or salt, or you know, whatever it is. Um, but those are ways that God created our bodies to function to help us make choices. Yeah. To help us be yeah. safe, to help us be wise. Yep. And so so when our bodies or our emotions or whatever are telling us something or are flagging us down, it's an indication to listen, right? It doesn't yeah. mean we always have to act on exactly what we think we're being told, but it means we need to listen and be curious. Absolutely. You know? Um is I've kind of um three years now into my latest stint of therapy. And one of the things I've learned is that the voices within me that I always thought were my intuition aren't always my intuition, right? Sometimes it's trauma, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> right? And it doesn't mean I have to, I'm supposed to ignore it. It means I need to note it and then be curious so that I can, I can discern, okay, is this truly my intuition or is this some, something else? Mm-hmm. Is this truly loving? Is this something else? So to your point, we should always listen, but we got to filter and understand and have the tools to listen well. Absolutely. And to discern what to act on. Yeah. yeah. So um, there have been endless teachings about sex and intimacy in the church. I mean, really throughout society, but for those of us that grew up in a Christian church setting, there've been plenty of teachings about this in, in churches worldwide. But what do you think about the contexts that were most formative to you? And when you think about them and look back on the churches and the spaces you grew up in, what is one message they got wrong when it came to sex or sexuality? And what's one message that they got right when it comes to sex and sexuality? So when I think about the context that I grew up in, what shaped me initially, uh, I think about the church I grew up in, Grafton Baptist Church in Yorktown, Virginia, uh, and my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Carrie Miles, sweet, kind. uh, But I remember she would always tell us girls to keep our ankles crossed. Um, And when I think about the good thing that I remember and the bad thing that I remember, it's the same thing, right? So on one hand, uh, her telling us to keep our ankles crossed definitely helps to curtail certain issues before we understand them, right? Uh, So it's good to, quote unquote, keep your ankles crossed, not have sex, um, until you know yourself you can make some healthy choices, right? Uh, until you have an idea of what you want, what is just, what is consent, um, what is good for your body, what is good for your spirit, um, who is safe, who isn't safe. Uh, until you can make those kinds of decisions for yourself and for your body, exploration um, does it allow you to figure out what your body likes and doesn't like? Uh, doesn't help you to learn anything, um, anything science friendly about your body? So. So both and, right, uh, which is so much of the church. It's, there's so much um, good that it has done. Um, it's also so many ways that it has caused harm. Um, but hopefully, uh, in the long run, we're doing more to, to help um, and to alleviate harm and to create joy than we are to cause harm. Absolutely. That's always the hope, if not the intention. It, it is at least the hope, I think. Um, and, I, I, you know, I... I've got a question that, my, that it's going to be a little bit deep, right? But it, it was sparked by something you just said, which is no surprise. We're talking. It's going to get deep. But as we think about this idea of self-pleasure, um, growing up, the context I grew up in, that was, that was off limits. That was considered sinful. It was considered unholy um, in the same way that having sex before marriage was considered sinful or unholy. So as you're, as you're talking to faith leaders or lay leaders or even just other people of faith, 
what kind of like theological foundation do you use to to let people know actually it is okay to explore your own pleasure how do you theologically justify that for lack of a better word uh well one i go with my basic tenets of christianity hmm. love god with your whole being love yourself as you love your neighbor for hmm. me those are the basics um followed by we're created in the image of God, right? Then God gave us life to have it more abundantly. So all those things together create like the basis of my theology and, and my sex theology, quite frankly. Uh, and so when you put all those together, we understand that part of loving oneself is knowing oneself. Part of loving God is knowing God, which includes ourselves because we're made in the image of God, right? Uh, and when God created humans, God said we were very good. God also created sex and created it well. Uh, so that is good. God created sexuality. That is good. Uh, and the Bible talks about, even Jesus talks about studying, right? When when Jesus is lost, quote unquote lost, right? And his parents can't find him. He's in the temple teaching because he's done so much studying. Um, so, so I think when I talk to faith leaders, particularly about um, sexuality and self-pleasure, I talk to them, to them about it as a way of connecting their bodies with God and remembering that God created our bodies and our minds and our spirits um, to function together uh, interdep- interdependently as opposed to independently. Um, however, you know, church fathers, Greco-Woman culture uh, decided that our bodies were terrible. And so we went with that. Um, so we've decided that uh, or we've been taught that our bodies and our spirits must be at odds with each other. When in reality, God has created us as whole beings uh, with magnificent functionings that work well and work best when they function together. Um, and so part of that is learning your body and figuring out what what God has done with your body that feels good. Part two of this series, I unpack what is... I think the introduction to my theological foundation for approaching this and making the arguments I would make, and it's it's very similar, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm inviting people to explore the creation narratives of Genesis, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there are two distinct creation narratives, and we have become transfixed with one of them mm-hmm. so much so that we've allowed it to color the way we view ourselves, mm-hmm. our flesh, and our bodies as like inherently sinful from birth mm-hmm. as opposed to inherently holy. But if if we decide, you know, just to put emphasis on the first creation narrative, well, that narrative ends with, and it was good, right? Goodness. So if if we start with goodness instead of sin or something else, I think it gives us a very different framework for understanding ourselves and our bodies. And so I I love that you you touch on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's similar to um, kind of reframing my personal theology, which is also communal, from focus on the cross to focus on, if we have to have an image, uh, an empty tomb, right? Focus on the resurrection, mm. that there is life and abundant life and love and liberation. Uh, yes, there, there was some suffering in the process, uh, but Jesus already did that suffering and told us, you know, to go have a good time. You know, it'd be good to people. Yeah. I love that. I've never heard someone describe uh, the message of, of Christ like that before. Yeah, Jesus told us have a good time. Why y'all tripping? Yes. Like, be good to people. Be good to yourself. Have a good time. Yes. I love that. Uh, so, you know, you're you're in this work day in and day out. Um, 
What are the common barriers that come up that you got to really wrestle with folks around? Uh, you know, people's embedded theology, the thing that they've been taught um, or they have internalized, you know, for their whole lives, right? Um, it is very difficult, especially when we're talking about adults, um, to challenge one's uh, belief system. Um, and when you challenge one thing in their belief system, um, that then becomes a challenge to their faith. Um, and that can become a crisis for people, especially for people who have uh, used their faith to cope, to heal, to process, to find joy, uh, to ground them, uh, and to lift them. Uh, when you start to shake that, right, that becomes often untenable for people. Um, the other thing is uh, often when you help people to realize that their sexuality and their sexual health is a part of their general health. Um, and the more knowledge you have, uh, the more power you have, or I like to say, uh, you know, knowledge is power and pleasure. Um, yes. That the less you're willing to have your boundaries overstep, the less you're willing to uh, listen to your leaders um, without question, uh, the less uh, you're willing to take, uh, accept things that, uh, are not good for you or they are less than what you want or less than what you enjoy. <clears throat> and that causes problems with, you know, systems of power in general. And also, you know, we live in a world that talks so much about sex. There's so much sex out there, but they don't actually talk about sex. Right. It's like sexual content is so easy to find just on the internet for free. Um, but people don't actually talk about the practicality of it. They don't talk about um, that it is good to be sexual. Um, and those two things, that sexuality and your faith go together. Um, you know, people are taught to their separate things. So, <clears throat> and then people are scared. People get scared uh, and nervous. And so much of it is also around ignorance because people, no, people haven't been taught really uh, about their bodies, about sexuality, or if they have been taught, they've been taught in a fear-only based way. Yeah, that you know that um, really resonates with my own experience. Is as I, I don't know exactly when it started. Maybe around the time I was twenty-seven or twenty-eight, I started really wrestling with how I experienced my own uh, desires for sex. Kind of wrestling with what it means to understand myself. Um, as you know, cisgender or heterosexual, and just kind of playing with those concepts, but there weren't really people or, or leaders in the faith communities I was moving in that could speak to that, right? So I, I end up getting most of my information from s secular leaders, and I have no issue with that. But I do think it's a shame that people haven't explicitly made, or at least aren't regularly talking about the fact that our sexuality is a part of our spirituality. And it is and can be holy, right? And it, in my opinion, it's not necessarily, there are exceptions, but it's usually not one particular act in a particular context that makes sex unholy, right? What can make sex problematic or unholy is if consent isn't involved, right? Or if you're entering into it with harmful intentions, like those are the deeper conversations and, and points of reflection that we need to teach people to have. Exactly. But to your point, we just be throwing content out there without teaching people how to process and understand this for themselves. Right. Uh, and people don't realize that comprehensive sexuality education is not just about physical, mental well-being. It's about how to develop um, and sustain healthy relationships, how to make 
choices that are healthy for you, uh, are wise for you, smart for you relationally. I'm not just getting in them, but sustaining them. Well, um, sustaining them well, getting through difficult parts well, and also ending well. Um, you know, every breakup doesn't have to be like a dramatic, you know, tires stab, windows busted out kind of thing. It could literally be we've gotten to a place. You know what? Granted, this is I'm simplifying. We have run our course. Yeah. God bless you. Be well. You know, it could. Yeah. Um. It but, don't have to be a Jasmine Sullivan. Right. It doesn't have to be Jasmine Sullivan. But we're also not taught how to do that. Right. We're not taught how to 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 begin well, uh, to process through them well or healthily as possible, right? Um, or to end well. Yeah. But that's all part of yeah. um, sexuality education. Well, comprehensive yes. sexuality uh, education, I should say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I'm wondering if you can talk some about the idea that when we're talking about sex, we're not just talking about the acts themselves that you're doing, right? But that we're talking about what it means to reflect on and have to reflect on your mental health, to reflect on your emotional health, to reflect on your desires. Like, can you talk about what we're really talking about when we talk about sex? Well, yeah. So if I'm, if I'm talking about sex and talking about the things that uh, your body does that create pleasure, it can be with yourself, can be with other people, um, can involve penetration or not only understand it. If I'm talking about the full spectrum of sex, I, I tend to say sexuality. Well, at least I try to. I don't always get that right. Um, but sexuality, of course, also includes uh, I, uh, you know, identity and uh, orientation and expression. Uh, it includes... Uh, your mental state, how you perceive yourself in the world, um, mm. your how you identify with your body, um, any number of, of things. But it's really, in general, it's all about your wellness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine uh, that comes up in a variety of the contexts that you work with people. So for folks that are curious, um, but maybe have never really done the work of centering pleasure, where where should they start? Are there specific resources you'd point out or people that they should follow aside from yourself, obviously? Uh, so oh, lots of good ones. Uh, the first one I tell people um, with the most resources probably is sexpositivefamilies.com. Uh, it's one of my favorites. They have a website, they have a Facebook page, they have an Instagram, they have a Twitter. You can, or if you just Google sex positive families, they will come up um, because they have resources across the lifespan. Um, and they're very user friendly, um, and they're black owned, <laughs> and so hey. um, and it's such quality content uh, and quality accurate information. Uh, that's good. Uh, also, uh, the Religious Institute has a lot of good information. Uh, Scarletine um, is really good, even for adults. Um, you know, it's created for teenagers, <clears throat> and to to speak to them. Uh, but because it's created for them, it means that the information is often very easy to read and understand uh, for anyone. Uh, a work that comes to mind, but may not be like introductory. So I kind of want to know what you think about mm -hmm. it is um, the book Pleasure Activism by Adrienne yes. Marie Brown. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I love 
it's, it's essentially an anthology, a bunch of essays, which is great, especially for introduction. Um, depending on how much you want to read, also, uh, you know, Kelly Brown Douglas, um, Black Church and Sexuality, uh, uh, Black Sex is good. Uh, oh, Advancing Sexual Health for the Christian Client, uh, which mm. is, you know, created for clergy and uh, therapists, but there's a lot of like good basic grounding information in there to help people um, look deeply at scripture and church history um, and how we can reframe and, and how to mm-hmm. reinterpret um, what has been taught um, without taking away people's faith, right? Uh, so reframing a particular belief of the faith system without disparaging that faith system or taking away the faith system completely. Um, so that's also good. Uh, I should, there's a ton. Um, oh, Liberating Sexuality by M- Miguel de la Torre. Mm. Uh, Come As You Are by uh, Emily Nagasaki. That's like, yeah. ah, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, oh, Red Lip Theology by Candice Benbow. Uh, oh, Sexuality and the Sacred, which is another. I think the editors are Marvin Ellison. Hold on. This is a great list. Uh, I got to add some of these to to my bookshelf and my resource library. because I've got some of them, but not all of them. Uh, Sexuality and the Sacred, uh, edited by James Nelson and Sandra Longfellow. Mm. Oh, there's another one. Oh, Secret Lives of a Church Lady. That sounds saucy. And for our listeners, know that we'll have these in our show notes as well. So you can kind of uh, check them out in the show notes. Uh, the Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filial, P-H-I-L-Y-A-W. Uh, and there's another um, there's a set of, of pussy prayers, which mm-hmm. even I always have a difficult time saying the word pussy, even though I tend to start my workshops with making people say all the words. Yeah. Uh, but that's one of the ones I still struggle with. Uh, let me see. Oh, Passionate and Pious by Monique Moltier. Oh, an unprotected uh, unprotected text, T-E-X-T-S. Unprotected text. Uh, it's Jennifer Wright with a W, okay. K-N-U-S-T. Okay. Sweet. Oh, Shameless by Nadia Boltweber. Oh, yeah, Nadia Boltweber. <laughs> oh, this is the one I was thinking about with Ellison. Uh, Body and Soul, Rethinking Sexuality as Justice Love. I love... Like I asked the question and just off rib, you had close to 20 different resources that you're like, yeah, y'all need to, y'all need to know these. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Yeah, I, you know, I love to learn and I love to share what I learn. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And, and how can people stay in touch with you and learn more about your work as it's coming out? Um, Reverendchesla.com. R-E-V-C-H-E-S-L-A.com. Excellent. Reverend. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. And I mean, you've brought some really deep wisdom that I know will enlighten the community. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I will happily talk about sex and faith whenever you want. Yes, we'll do it again sometime then. Thank you for listening to another episode of the What Would It Take podcast. If you appreciate this work and want to support me, please take a moment and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. 
That is the fastest way for new listeners to find this content and for our audience and community to grow. And I also encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast on your social media platforms so that others can listen to and reflect on the same things that you're reflecting on. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And if you have questions or topics you want to suggest, feel free to email me at benjaminjtapper at gmail.com. That's Tapper with two Ps. Once again, thank you for listening to this episode. We've got some answers. Now, let's get to work.